Well, uh, tonight we have another treat. Uh, we're going to welcome up a friend of ours, Bobby Blakey. Bobby uh, and I, uh, we actually crossed over at, in college for a few years, I think, and then I worked there as an RD at the same college, the Master's College, and Bobby was a student, I think, while I was working there, so we had some crossover. Uh, he is a pastor down in Orange County, right now in Huntington Beach, after uh, being a youth pastor at a church for eight plus years. Compass Bible Church is where Melody Reisman is originally from. So we partnered with them, with the Reismans. Uh, uh, three years ago, in 2014, they started a uh, plant out of there in Huntington Beach in 2015. I believe they opened their doors. And so uh, that church plant started with 125 people. I know they have many more than that uh, today. Uh, Bobby has a wife and three kids. And I think that's it for now. Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, and uh, here is a, here's some of the connections we have with Bobby. His dad, Bruce, is a pastor in San Antonio. Our good friends, the Smiths, Sam and Johnny, and the Yates, Sam and Christy, now go to his dad's church in San Antonio. See the small world uh, that the Lord weaves for us. Uh, the pastor, the second pastor at his church in Huntington Beach is Billy Blakey. Billy was an RA for me while I was an RD. See how this all, the web we weave here together. Uh, and so we like the Blakey family. Ben Blakey is also a pastor uh, down in Orange County. So uh, we're big fans of the Blakey family. I want to tell you one thing that I really appreciate about Bobby. And here it is, is that uh, not only is he passionate about God's word and teaching and preaching and proclaiming God's word uh, and committed to God's church, but uh, they have a church structure, a system that we try to learn from, we want to glean from. And as, as committed as they are to the church, they're that committed to evangelism. I mean, they strike a great balance of those two things, of, of not only caring for their people and proclaiming God's word, but, but bringing that out into the world and reaching people with the gospel. And so we want to learn from them, from their heart, and we're so thankful tonight to have uh, Bobby with us and also Scott from the same church. So what, why don't you welcome Bobby Blakey with me tonight. Thank you, brother. Well, hey, it's an honor to be here with you all, and I would love for you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, and it's great to meet some brothers and sisters in Christ and to open God's Word with you. Thank you, Jordan, for having me here, and uh, yeah, I bring you greetings from Huntington Beach, California, Surf City, USA. And uh, we see it, our name for it that we're working at our church is Soul City, USA. And I want to encourage you to see people as souls. People are not bodies. People have bodies. People are souls. And I, and I want to encourage you tonight to try to see people that you're driving by, that you're interacting with at the store, that live around you, to see them as eternal souls that will either spend their eternity with God or apart from Him. And uh, I got my friend Scott drove me up here. He goes to our church, and Scott was a church-going guy. He was a good guy. He ran a company, and uh, his family went to our church, and I got to meet him and get to know him. 
And uh, right when I moved up to Huntington Beach, we were in South Orange County and my family moved up to Huntington Beach. We were going to plant this church. Scott called me one day and he called me because his wife, Sandy, was in the hospital and she wasn't doing well. And he wanted me to come and see her. In fact, her, uh, her condition there in the hospital progressed so quickly that he actually asked me to go pick up his son, Matt, from high school so I could bring him to see his mom before she died. And so I went to pick up Matt from his high school, and I'd known him from being his youth pastor. I mean, imagine that. You're going and calling somebody out to go see their mom at the hospital because it looks like their mom might pass away. And Matt, he's a high schooler, a young man who'd recently professed faith in Christ, seemed like he was on fire for Christ. And we get in my car and we're driving to the hospital. And the first thing Matt says when we get in the car is, hey, if my mom dies, I really hope my dad gets saved. That's what he says. And we go and sure enough, his mom does die. And I can still hear those words in my head, like, how is this guy, Scott, going to get saved? And I'm begging God, wow, his wife just died. God, what's going on in his heart? Will you open his eyes? Will you get his attention? And I got to preach at our church one more time before I went and planted the new church. And I, and I preached on Matthew 9 where Jesus says, when he sees the crowd, you know what it says there? When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because he saw them like they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And I remember one time when I was walking into uh, Chick-fil-A, I was trying to think about that verse and I was trying to get my chicken nuggets at the same time. And they did this really terrible thing there at Chick-fil-A. You guys ever been to Chick-fil-A before? Has anyone ever been there? They didn't give me my sauce with my chicken nuggets. I don't know if you've ever been sinned against in such a grievous way, right? And they said my pleasure, and I began to wonder, really? Is it really your pleasure, right? And I realized at that moment, I actually got convicted because I realized I was not seeing this person who was serving me my not sauce with my chicken nuggets. I was not seeing them as a soul. I was seeing them as a dispenser of sauce. And I looked around at Chick-fil-A one day, and I did a full 360 right there when I was about to get upset about Chick-fil-A sauce, and I thought to myself, every single person in this place is a living soul. This person, and I looked at their name tag, and I realized I didn't even treat them like a human being, and I said, look at this guy. This guy's a soul. I wonder if he knows Jesus Christ. And there's like these high school girls over here laughing and, and gossiping or whatever it is they're doing, and I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if they know. There's a guy quietly looking at his cell phone over here. I want, and it completely changed my experience. A sauce seemed like not even close to being important when everybody around me was a soul. And I preached that at our church. And then we showed up the next week, our first service in Huntington Beach. And some of us got there like three hours early to set up the high school. And we're praying. And this guy, Scott, walks up three hours early for church in Huntington Beach, which is like 45 minutes away from where he lives. And I'm like, Scott, great to see you. What are you doing here three hours early? And he says to me, I, I walked into Chick-fil-A the other day. And I started seeing everybody as a soul. And God saved Scott. 
And he started showing up, and now he's driving me up here to Simi Valley. And the prayer that, that kind of Matt, that request that Matt uttered that his dad would get saved, it came true. Now, Scott would have been a good guy. You would have thought he had it together. And when he went to church, he was a family man, he was a good businessman, he would have been one of the good ones, he would have called himself a Christian, and you would have thought he was a Christian, but he wasn't, see? What I want you to see is souls are on the line, not only out there in the world, not only in the community, but even here at church. You and I need to see everybody at church as a soul, and we need to wonder, really, what direction is that soul headed for all of eternity? Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. I think it's so great you guys are doing the one another's, because I think these are so important for us to live out our faith in the church of Jesus Christ. And here's one another that we want to look at together tonight. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 will be our text. Let me read it for us. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You can see the, the one another there is to exhort one another. It's the Greek word parakaleo. It's sometimes translated encourage one another. The Greek word has the idea to call alongside, to come alongside, to come alongside of somebody and to speak into somebody's life, to try to build them up, get them going, lift them up. Maybe you need to correct them and get them going back in the right. Exhort one another, it says, every day. Now, why? Why is it so serious? Why do we need to be in coming alongside of each other and encouraging each other all of the time? We'll go back to verse 12. Let's start there. Take care. Watch out, brothers, because even here among us on people who go to church on a Sunday night to talk about the one and others, there could be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. You ever known somebody who told you they were a Christian? Maybe even it looked like they were living for Jesus Christ for a while, and then they went back to their old life of sin. You ever seen that happen before? You ever had your heart broken when you thought you were striving side by side with a brother or a sister, and you loved them, and, and you, you thought they loved you too, and you were running side by side for Jesus, and then they started slowing down, and then they started getting distant, and then you can't see them at church anymore? See, this is a, a warning here. We're in the book of Hebrews, and one of the things that the book of Hebrews does is it gives warnings about this idea of apostasy, about this idea that people might claim, they might profess faith, they might even do some good Christian practices and things that look like a Christian, but Jesus says that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And what's Jesus going to say to many people on that day? Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. See, the sin is still their life. 
See, they might, they might have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads them to fall away. They might still be in their sin. Their heart might be hardened. They might be self-deceived, thinking they're following Christ when really they're not. And it says we got to watch out for that. This is a real warning in the book of Hebrews. I don't know what you know exactly about the book of Hebrews, but it's a book that's trying to say that the new covenant we have in Christ is better than the old covenant, that Jesus is greater than the old way of doing things. And one of the main themes running through the book of Hebrews is this idea of the perseverance of the saints. That, hey, real Christian people, they stick with it all the way to the end. They endure. They persevere all the way to the end. And there's these warnings. Hey, watch out. People could fall away. They could start out strong and fall away. So watch out. Hebrews is full of this warning. Go back to chapter 2, verse 1. This is really where the warning in the book of Hebrews begins because it starts out so subtle. I've seen, unfortunately, many people fall away from the faith, and not one of them ever showed up one day and said, I hate Jesus. Not one of them ever started burning Bibles outside of their house. They just drifted away over time slowly, and look at how that drift begins. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Hey, watch out. You're either paying closer attention to the good news of Jesus, you're either growing in Christ, or you're already drifting away from it. And that's where the dynamic begins. People who are leaning in, growing closer to Christ, and people who, oh, I know this, oh, I'm used to this, oh, I'm fine, oh, I'm good, and they start the drift. And by chapter 3, it's like, hey, watch out. There could be even some among you who are deceived, who still have that heart of unbelief, and they could even fall away. That's where the drift starts going. So what Hebrews does is it uses warnings to keep you on the right track. And we understand this even from our road signs, right? You're driving down the street and you're coming up to that road and there's a big curve that it has to say and there's that sign and it's got like the curve motion on it and it has the number 30 on it like you need to slow down. You guys know the signs I'm talking about? Do you get offended? Oh, what, they don't think I know how to drive around here? Like I can't handle a turn? What, I gotta go down to 30? Who do you think I am, right? Or do you think, oh, that's helpful, I don't wanna drive off the road. Yeah, I'll I'll curve here, right? That's what the book of Hebrews does. It uses warnings to help keep us on the right track, and there's a warning. Hey, many have claimed a good start to Christ. Who's really finishing the race? And because we know people fall away, man, that's a reason to exhort one another every day. So one thing I want to encourage you to do is heed the warning of Hebrews And to open up your eyes that even though people might be sitting at church and even though they might seem like good guys with good families and good jobs who would claim to be Christians, their son might also know they're not really saved by the way they live at home. 
And see, that's why we got to really be diligent because souls are on the line. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. This is where it really gets graphic. It just builds throughout the book as these warnings become more and more vivid and more and more clear until finally in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, we just get this bold and audacious warning of what is going to happen with those who fall away from the faith. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 26, 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That sounds pretty intense right there. How does it begin? Somebody who knows the truth, they come to church, they're familiar with the scriptures, they know the good news that Jesus is the Christ who died for our sins and rose again. They know the truth, but what do they do? They keep on sinning. They act like you can know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can hear the call to repentance. You can hear your need to put your faith in his righteousness because you have no righteousness, but you can keep on sinning. No, you can just keep on doing it. It's not that big a deal. It's no big deal. People know the truth. They continue in sin. Here's the warning. Hey, watch out because there's nothing down that path. You know that Jesus died for your sins and you want to keep living in your sins? Yeah, let me tell you what's down there. Judgment, a fury of fire. See, as new covenant believers, especially here in the book of Hebrews, we think we have it so much better off than the Old Testament. We think the Old Testament, how harsh people could get stoned for breaking the law. People could get crushed with big rocks. I'm so glad I'm in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. Anybody want to say amen to that? Look what it continues to say right here, though. See? It says in verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence or two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace? Oh, you think it's harsh in the Old Testament? What do you think's going to happen when God the Father sends his one and only Son down as a sacrifice for your sin, and you know what God did for you, how he gave his Son, and you're like, yeah, no big deal, I'll just keep on sinning? Oh, you think they had it bad in the Old Testament? What do you think God's going to do on the day of judgment to people who knew the full gospel, the good news of Jesus, and decided that's not a big deal, I'll just keep on sinning with my life? How much worse, the writer of Hebrews says, do you think they're going to have it than the Old Testament? Is this intense to anybody else? This is like what Jonathan Edwards was preaching when he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Anybody ever heard of that sermon before? Most famous sermon in American history right there. Still reading it, even in the high schools of Orange County, they're still reading it junior year as a work of American literature. You know who he preached that to? Church people. He said, hey, you are like a mangy spider hanging over a flame, held up by the hand of God. At any time, God could just bring his hand out from you, and you could fall into the fires of hell. You who know the truth about God and keep on sinning. That's where revival came from. That's where the great awakening came from. Preaching like that to people who would have told you they were fine while they continued in sin. This is the warning of the book of Hebrews. And so when we get to know other people, 
and they claim to follow Christ, what the book of Hebrews is telling you is watch out, take care. Not everybody who says they're going to be there is really going to walk in the way that we're called to walk as Christians. No, some people, they might talk it up. They might, they might even do some good actions, but watch somebody's lifestyle and encourage them to stay on the right path. In fact, it's so critical that you encourage them that you should keep encouraging them every single day so that their heart won't get hardened, but they'll stay sensitive, paying more attention to the gospel, and they'll keep walking with Jesus. So now that we're kind of getting the the intensity of the warnings in the book of Hebrews, let's go back to chapter 3. And now let's look at our one another under that backdrop. In that context, we don't want anybody here at church, any of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we've come to know and love, do we want them falling away into their life of sin? Do we want them seeing that judgment? No, we don't want that. That's why it's so critical that you and I, we exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because souls are at stake, because eternity is on the line. That's why we need to be going all out when it comes to our exhortation and encouragement. I mean, here's here's what Hebrews is saying. The threat of people falling away is a real threat, and it's a serious thing to consider. And here's actually something you can do about it. This was so empowering. When I got this thought in my mind, when God helped me understand this passage, I was at the master's college like Jordan was talking about, and I was there living in the dormitories in college, and I realized that the things I say to other people can make an eternal difference in their lives that souls are on the line, people could be falling away, and the answer to that is that we would exhort one another. Like you're saying, if I encourage somebody, if I encourage them every day, God might use the words that come out of my mouth to keep somebody on the straight and narrow for Jesus Christ. That's what it's implying right there, that your encouragement is required in other people's lives, and God can use your encouragement as the means to keep them persevering and enduring in their faith. That's an amazing thing. The words that I say matter to other people on a spiritual level. And so I'm commanded here. Now, you guys are getting the hang of the one another's, especially if you've been here, all three of these uh, 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 Sunday nights. The one another's, it's never like be encouraged by one another. Have you noticed that? Be forgiven by one another. Feel the love from one another, right? It's never about you receiving it from other people. It's always about you giving it. Are we seeing how the one another's work, right? That this is a command for all of us. I mean, everybody I know would like to be encouraged. You want to know, I think, how to get encouraged? Start it. Be the one who initiates it. Be the one who, uh, who takes that step and really considers somebody else and says, hey, what can I do to encourage so-and-so? Go over to chapter 10 with me, because before we get to that intense warning of the judgment, we have this strong encouragement, and we even see this connection. 
There's this real sense of urgency to our encouragement in the book of Hebrews because souls are on the line and they could fall away. But, and notice that this passage about people continuing in sin is right after maybe a well-known familiar passage, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. The most famous passage, perhaps, on encouragement in the Scripture. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, parakaleoing one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That you and I are commanded to consider one another. We're supposed to think about one another. So that we might encourage, what could I say to so-and-so? And I, I love so-and-so. I've gotten to know them. It seems to me like Jesus is doing a work in their life. How can I come alongside? What could I say to them? Could I text to them? Could I call them? Could I send them a note, an email? Could I write them a, a card and send it to them? What could I say to so-and-so that would make them want to keep living for Jesus? How could I do that? That's what we're supposed to be thinking about. All of us are called to consider others and to be praying about them, to be pursuing them, and to be thinking, okay, this person, I would call them my brother. I would call them my sister. What could I say to them today that would, that would spur them on, stir them up? It's translated uh, different ways here in Hebrews 10, 24, but the Greek word here really gets to the idea of provoking one another. How can I provoke them to keep loving Jesus and living for him, love and good deeds? I want to provoke the other Christians I know to love and good deeds. I'm thinking about how to do it. I'm just walking around. I'm praying. I'm thinking, man, okay, so-and-so, how do I get them going? Now, I love it when it says in this translation, spur one another on, because like Jordan said, my dad is a pastor in San Antonio, Texas, all right? And so when I was a freshman in high school, living here in Southern California, very much enjoying Southern California, my dad said, we're going to move to Texas, okay? I hated moving to Texas. Can we, get, can we get honest? Can I say that, right? So maybe you're a fan of Texas. Hey, I'm not, Okay. And a little bit of that anti-Texas bias might come out in the things I'm about to share, okay? They have one flat star on their flag for a reason, my friends, okay? Them becoming their own country is not a joke in Texas. I was just there this year. I was just there this year, and what they thought was super funny, if I, if I say anything bad about Texas, trust me, they're saying way worse stuff about us, all right? The land of people who voted for Hillary Clinton, that's all we are to them, okay? In fact, they thought it was funny. Like multiple people thought this, this joke was hilarious, that they all had to tell it to me at different times while I was last visiting my dad out there, that they said, hey, did you hear how Trump's building a wall? Have you heard about the wall? Yeah, you think it's between the border of us and Mexico? Yeah, it's the border of California. We're keeping all the fruits and nuts on the other side. This is like what they say to me. Great to see you too, right? Thank you, right? So I moved to Texas against my will. I, I was brought to Texas, right? But one thing that I saw in Texas are genuine cowboys. These aren't people on TV shows. These aren't people on movies. These are real people, okay? 
And you can hear them walking up behind you as you're getting a snack in the gas station because they got clank going on, right? And you turn around, and here's this dude, and he's got a hat all over his head. He's got a buckle on his belt. Like, you could put that on a table and eat off that thing. And he's coming in like this, and he's clanking all the way down. And I'm like, dude, you just got out of an F-150. Why do you got those spurs on the back of your boot? I mean, what, who are you fooling right now, you know? And they're so excited about the idea of the Spurs, about being a cowboy, that the basketball team is the San Antonio Spurs. And so I became acquainted with the Spur. And I like that translation, because I get what it's about. The cowboy is riding his trusty steed. And when he wants to increase velocity, when he wants to move across the earth at a faster pace, if he really needs to get going, he gives his horse the Spur. See, it's a little swift kick of love is what it is, right? Now, I'm told by the, by the people who love horses that no horses are harmed in the giving of the spur, which doesn't really make sense to me because it's a sharp metal poker. That's what it is. And the cowboy says, yeah, right? That's what they say. And then they just take off. That's what we're called to do to one another, my friends. We are here to give one another the swift kick of love. Hey. I love you. Here's a sharp metal poker of encouragement. That's what it's saying right here. The word is not always used in this touchy-feely kind way. It's provoke. It's stir. It's spur. It's like, look, your soul's on the line. I care about you. Are you loving Jesus right now? Can you tell me you're running harder for Jesus today than you've ever run for Jesus before? Because if you're starting to drift, I'm here to kick you. That's what we're here to do for one another, okay? It's not just this touchy-feely idea when we think about encouragement. No, hear the word exhortation. Like, you matter to me, and I care about you. And if I see you slacking off, if I see you beginning to drift, I'm thinking about you, I'm stalking you, and I'll give you that swift kick of love. I'll give it to your, to your face, right? That's what makes us different than the world. We don't stab you in the back. We stab you right in the front, right, with a smile. I'll tell you the truth about yourself even if you don't want to hear it. That's encouraging one another, okay? So we're not here to just theorize tonight. We're not here to just talk about nice ideas. I'm here to tell you, who are you going to give the swift kick of love to this week? Who do you know right now that if you're being honest, they ain't running for Jesus like they used to? Their, their trot is slowing down a little bit. They ain't on fire. They're, they're moving more towards lukewarm if you had to take their spiritual temperature. What can you do about it? Maybe you just need to go talk to them, man to man, woman to woman. You just need to get honest with them. Let them know how much you care. Let them know that you're concerned. Maybe you can kind of see they've made this progress in their life, and maybe they need, maybe if they really grew in prayer, that would encourage them. Maybe if they really grew in their time in the Word, like how could I come alongside? Maybe there's something I could really say, hey, let's do this together, and that would help kind of lift them to the next level in their walk with the Lord. I'm supposed to be considering how to make sure my brothers and sisters are running harder for Jesus than they ever have before. Love and good deeds. That's what we're going for. I don't want people losing their first love. I don't want people saying, yeah, my best days with Jesus were behind me. Why, why would we settle for that? Best days for Jesus are behind you. Whoa, what does that mean? Are you drifting? We don't want to go down that path. See, that's what we're here to do. 
Who is receiving encouragement from you? I know we would all like to receive encouragement, but I'm asking you, who, who would say, if, I, if we, if we asked everybody at the church, who encourages you? Who's saying your name? If we ask everybody, who's your sharp metal poker that keeps you going for Christ, that really loves you enough to tell you the truth if you need it? Who's that person? Who's saying your name? Because you're commanded to do it here in the Scripture. People's souls are on the line, and you're commanded to come alongside and speak the truth in love. That's how the body of Christ gets built up. Who's hearing from you? Wow, it was so empowering when I realized I could say things that would spur other people on. I could exhort people so that God would, in, would persevere them. He could use me to encourage them. Man, I took that seriously when I was in the master's college. I was a senior, and there was this guy who was a freshman there in my dorm, and his name was Brad, and he was kind of a quiet guy, and he kind of kept out of the crowd, and I was like, this guy, he's kind of out there a little bit by himself. And I thought, man, he's a guy I need to encourage. And I said something there in college. I said, this guy Brad, he's going to hear from me every single day. I'm on this guy. He's not falling away, not on my watch. That's what I was thinking, right? I was like, what can I start saying to Brad? Started spending all kinds of time with him, hanging out. Turns out he's not just a quiet guy, he's a genius. He's a computer hacker, it turns out, right? I mean, he can do things with computers that'll, that'll blow your mind. He, I, would, I would go and print a paper and go to pick it up from the printer. All of a sudden on the printer, it would say, have a nice day, Bobby, scrolling on the printer. I'm like, how did he do that, right? So we get to know each other. He gets a job, and actually, first he's going to get his master's degree in England. And so we got a guy, a Christian young man, going by himself to England for a year. Now, every day, the guy's hearing from me, hey, Brad, how you doing today? Now, I do, do I start the conversation with, hey, Brad, are you falling away from the faith today? Is that how I start it? No. Just, hey, Brad, what are you doing? He knows that call's coming. Hey, Brad, what's going on? Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a text message. Hey, Brad, what's going on today, man? What's your plan today? What are you up to? Just getting to know him. Just letting him know every single day that I care. And if he doesn't answer the phone, I'm leaving long voicemails. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know if I'll get to talk to him later, so I got to say it all now. Hey, Brad, what's going on, man? Was just thinking about this verse. Thought I would share it with you, you know? That's what it's like. Who are you going to just insert yourself into their life and say, hey, you're going to be hearing from me. Keep the line open. That's the idea. Encourage one another every day. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3. Look at it with me here again. Hebrews chapter 3. It, well, it wouldn't surprise you then that when we decided to plant this church in Huntington Beach, guess who all of a sudden comes up to me? And this is now uh, like... Uh, uh, what, what was it, 12 years after, we, after I graduated from college? Guess who says, hey, I want to move my whole family and help you plant the church? Guess who does that? Brad, guess who's probably actually ended up being a bigger encouragement to me than I ever was to him? My friend Brad. See, that's how it works. You want to you be encouraged? Start giving it. That's how you do it. Start giving it. Here in Hebrews 3, let's keep going. It says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Then that's an interesting line. 
Okay, now let's, let's get more of the context here of what's going on. If you look back up at verse 7, we're quoting an Old Testament passage, which is Psalm 95. And it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hey, we know about people who've been delivered by God, rescued by God, brought out into the wilderness by God. And yet could they, even though they're hearing from God all the time through Moses, and even though they've been so blessed by God, could they harden their hearts? even though they're an environment of God? Well, yeah, that's what the people of Israel did. And here's the encouragement today, sense of urgency in the now. Hey, even if you've been a Christian for many years, how you doing now, if you can hear what God's saying to you now, are you paying closer attention or are you drifting away? Don't harden your heart. That's the context here. Psalm 95, the bad example, the warning, look what happened to God's people out there in the wilderness. Look at how their hearts got hard, even though they were in a good environment where God was leading them, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, the food falling from the sky, water coming from the rock. Yeah, those people got hard hearts. So today, there's always this sense of urgency. Like, do you encourage with a sense of urgency? Like, is there this sense like, hey, somebody's heart could be getting hard, so we got to keep it fresh. We got to talk about it right now. I don't want anybody starting to drift. And it's it just this interesting phrase there, as long as it is called today. Because the, we haven't reached the finish line yet. We haven't reached it. Man, maybe we've been walking with Christ for a long time. Maybe we're newer to the faith. The goal is to finish well, not just to start well, not just to keep going well for even decades, but it's to get to all the way to the end. That's the goal. And so we got to keep going. Now go back to chapter 10, because there there's something other there that I want you to see. Because it, that phrase, as long as it is called today, that's a really interesting phrase. And here in verse 25 of Hebrews 10, it says, encouraging one another, same one another command. And then it says this, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And at least in my translation here, it's got day with a capital D. What, what day are we talking about? Tomorrow, the next day? We're talking about the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day of trouble that is coming upon the world. As the day gets near, as long as it is called today, what is this implying? Well, we want people to finish the race, but we don't know when the race is going to be finished. Judgment is coming. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. How many days do I really have left with somebody? See, I don't know how long I've got with somebody here at my, my church, somebody I would consider a brother or a sister, maybe somebody that's in my small group or my Bible study, somebody I really share fellowship with. How much time do you have left with them? See, you don't really know. So you might assume that you have many years left with somebody, but it only takes a few friends being in car accidents that they don't make it out of for you to realize, no, I, I might not. I might not have that much longer with so-and-so. They could die. I could die. The judgment could come. I need to make the most of the time I have with people right now. If I'm not making an impact in their lives right now, what makes me think I have more time to make an impact later? It gives a sense of urgency to it. I mean, do we live like that? 
Do we live like, hey, we could, the end could be here at any moment. Jesus could come and back and get it. Do we live like the end is imminent? It could happen soon. It could happen at any moment. Does that bring a sense of urgency into your encouragement? Because that's what it says right here. Just flat out says, hey, as the day of the Lord gets closer, you should encourage more. The less time you have with people, up the urgency. Now, this was written like 2,000 years ago. Here in the year of our Lord, 2017, should we maybe be thinking that the day of the Lord could be soon? What do you guys think? Is that something you were anticipating? Do you ever think about that? How many todays do you really have left with the brothers and sisters that you care about? How much longer do you really have to make an impact on other Christians' lives? We're supposed to ramp it up the closer we get to the end. Go over to the book of 1 Thessalonians with me. 1 Thessalonians, it's such a great example of a church that was just on fire and was, and was dynamic. And part of the reason we see the, the Thessalonian believers were so fired up is they thought that Jesus was coming back at any moment. We're talking about first century Christians. And what happened in the church of Thessalonica is that somebody in their church died. Get this mindset for a second. Somebody in their church died, and when somebody died, they thought, oh, no, that's terrible. They missed the rapture. That's what they thought. If they just could have held on longer, Jesus would have come back and got them. But they died. Now, is that sadly the opposite of how we think today? Do you expect to be raptured or do you expect to die? Which one do you think it is? See, that's how we think. That's not how these people thought. They were like, oh, no, he died. Is he going to miss it? Is he going to miss Jesus Christ coming back? And so Paul, he explains that here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Hey, let me explain to you what happens when a brother or sister dies. Let me explain to you how this is going to work. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have passed away, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe, here's the gospel, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, <coughs> excuse me, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Hey, let me explain how it's going to work. The dead didn't miss it. The dead are actually going to rise first. And then those who are alive will be caught up in the clouds and will be with Jesus. And the good news about being with Jesus is once you're with Jesus, you will always be with him. We will always be with the Lord. What does it say right after that? Here's the punchline for us. Verse 18, therefore what? Parakaleo one another. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. What? With these words. With the words about Jesus calling us up and we, us being caught up to meet Jesus in the clouds. Why do I, what's the drive here for encouragement? Urgency. The end could be coming. It could be coming at any moment. Therefore, I can't wait. I can't wait till next time to talk to so-and-so. I need to start talking to him now. 
Now, I don't, I don't want to encourage you to just start going in, coming in too hot with people. I don't want to encourage you to just come in. No, you got to build the relationship. you got to get to know them. But even that should have a sense of urgency. i got to let so-and-so know I really care about them. i got to really get to know them. i got to make them feel comfortable with us talking about what's really going on in their life. Even that has a sense of urgency because I want to talk about what's really going on in their soul, and I don't know how much time I have with them. This isn't casual, this is urgent. Then it goes on in the day of the Lord. Now it talks about the judgment that it's coming. Now it talks about a thief in the night. And it goes on in chapter 5, and we think about the rapture. We think about the, the joy of seeing Jesus. That's the idea of rapture, ecstatic joy or delight. We're going to be with Christ. Praise the Lord. Well, then here's the terrible word of judgment that is coming and, and this day that's coming. And look at verse 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, what does it say? Based on even the fact that judgment is coming, what should we do? Encourage one another. So I don't know if you've ever associated encouragement with eschatological urgency, with the idea that the end times could be coming soon. But we like to, at our church, combine them into encouragency. There should be a sense of emergency in my encouragement because I don't know how much longer I've got. So I can't wait a long time. All the more as you see the day approaching, as long as it's called today. Oh, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in the fall. We'll get to that in the winter. We'll get to that in the spring. We'll get to that next year. Lord willing, we don't know. They, and here's the thing. It's not just will they die. It's not just will the judgment come. Will they harden their heart before then? How long does it take a heart to get hard? Just to drift. Just kicking it into cruise control. Do you know somebody who's doing that right now? Are you the person that God's going to use to provoke them, to spur them, to stir them up? Do you know somebody right now as I'm talking that this week needs to hear your voice through some kind of medium calling alongside of them, coming alongside of them? I remember I was in this small group of high school young men one time, and we had been getting tight. God had been saving some of these young men. It was a dynamic fellowship. I don't know if you've been a part of that. Hopefully you really have in your life, like where you really are talking about real things with other brothers and sisters. And I said to these guys, guys, let's say we have 24 hours until Jesus comes back. What are you going to do? These are Orange County high schoolers. One of them's like, I'm going to Disneyland right now. I'm hiding in the park all night. They won't even find me real spiritual-minded young man, right? Other guy, he's like, I'm making a sign that says the end is near, and I'm running down the middle of Molten Parkway. That's what the guy says. I'm like, you got 24 hours left, and you're going to turn into crazy sign guy? That's what you want to do? I'm like, guys, if we got 24 hours left, you know where I want to be? I want to be right here in this group. I want to be looking you in the eyes, and I want to be saying to you, are you ready to meet Jesus? That's what I want to be doing. I want to be sitting right here with my brothers and sisters, and I want to be saying, hey, are we sure we don't have an evil, unbelieving heart? Are we sure we're not self-deceived? Are we sure we're all in this together? Then let's meet the Lord. See, I want, I want my brothers and sisters to not just be with me as we worship God today. I want them to be there with me when we worship God on that day. And therefore, I take it as my calling from the Lord to speak words of truth and love into their lives, to encourage one another. 
That's something God is commanding you to do. Who are your one and others? Who are the people that you're going to encourage every day as long as it is called today? If I could pray for you guys, let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we come before you. And we thank you so much for this word of encouragement. And God, help us to see how serious it is. Encouragement is just not nice thoughts and cards and and little gifts. God, encouragement is a serious calling with a sense of urgency that you have given to every one of us because people here, we need to keep stirring up their soul. We need to keep spurring them on. We need to provoke one another to love and good deeds. We don't want anybody here to start drifting away. Anybody that we know as a brother or sister in Christ, we don't want them to fall away from the faith, to go back to the old sins. We don't even want them to be able to hide the secret sins in their life right now. God, help us to see that souls are on the line. Help us to see it as we drive home tonight, God. Help us to even think, how many houses do I drive by to get to my house? How many souls live in those houses? How many people around here don't know Jesus? God, help us to think that when we go to church, when we fellowship, when we get to know other people. How could I spur them on? How could they be loving Jesus more, doing good deeds? How could they be on fire for Christ? God, use me. Speak through me. Let me spur them up. God, let them hear your voice through me. God, put that on our heart, I pray. God, I pray that you will just not let us talk about this tonight, but that you will put it on our heart in such a way that you cause us to do this, that you speak through us, that your Holy Spirit causes us to walk in the way of coming alongside one another and speaking the truth. God, I pray that everybody here who can hear this message, that you will use them to be a spur in the side, to say hi to somebody else, to get them galloping, to get them running in their walk with Jesus Christ, God. Let us encourage one another every day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.